0: Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. (laughs) Thank you. I'm still alive. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Kids, you can be released. Yes, thank you so much for your prayers uh, this week. As most of you probably heard, last Sunday was an eventful Sunday after church. I was changing a light bulb in the kitchen. That was it. When all of a sudden I got a chest pain, my heart jumped to over 180 and went into AFib and like Kirsten took me to the ER and I spent most of the first couple of days of last week in the hospital. Thankfully everything's okay. I was checked out. I have some new meds and I have a low salt, low red meat diet, which I am not happy about. Um, but you can pray for me in that now. So thank you for, for your prayers. I am excited to be here. And, and initially when I was in the hospital and I was telling Justin like, hey, I may not be able to preach. And then once I got out, he was like, so do you want to preach? Do you not want to preach? And the reality is, I've really wanted to preach this book. So today, we're in Habakkuk. We've been going through the minor prophets, these 12 books, that the smaller, shorter uh, of the prophets that are often overlooked, misunderstood. But I really wanted to preach Habakkuk because it's a book of the Bible that God has used in the life of my wife and I over the years. It's a book that is beautiful because it's God's word, but it's also one that has spoken deeply to us. It has verses that that you're familiar with, but it's it's a book that speaks to us of, yet I will praise the Lord. Even when life hurts, when there's wounds, like even in the years of loss, the loss of a child... The loss of possessions, the loss of safety, the the loss of comfort, the life of certainty have all been seasons that God has brought the book of Habakkuk back to our own remembrance. Uh, The years of question toward God like, where are you? Like, this hurts so bad right now. Like, where are you? Are you good? When we doubt God's presence, when we doubt his power in the midst of our pain, that's the book of Habakkuk. The passage today, God's word is going to say what our hearts often feel, but our mouths are too afraid to say out loud. Habakkuk's going to say it. It's as though we're eavesdropping on... Habakkuk's prayer to God. See, Habakkuk's different because a lot of the other minor prophets, like, they have a, a, this message from God to, to the nation, like, you're rebelling, God's judgment is coming, there's going to be mercy. But Habakkuk is praying to God. He's talking to God. He's not talking to the nation. He's crying out to God, pouring out his heart, and we get to eavesdrop. And Habakkuk's name means embrace. Embrace. It's like this divine hug. It's for those this morning who have ever felt abandoned by God, forgotten, as if God's silent, as if he's not good, if you're confused by the actions of God, wounded. I pray that these words would be an embrace. This is how they're intended. This is how they've been received in my own life and how I pray God uses them in your life this morning. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, and I pray that your words that we read this morning would be an embrace. Lord, the reality that in the midst of our pain, that you are present in the midst of our doubts and our confusion and our wounds, that we would be reminded and experience the reality that you are both present and all powerful. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So before we jump into verse two, it's helpful to know that Habakkuk is a lament. It's a lament in that Habakkuk is hurt. He's wounded. He's crying out to God, and he's going to accuse God of things that aren't true, and yet the scripture is going to record it because this is how Habakkuk really feels. These are the accusations that he's throwing against God. How long? How long must I call out for help, and you do not listen? Or, or cry out for help about violence? And you do not save. Why do you force me to to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Look, oppression, violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective. Injustice never emerges. The wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Do you hear his accusations? God, I'm crying out. Day and night, I'm praying. But where are you? I don't hear you. You're not speaking. All I hear is silence. And I cry, and I cry, and I pray, and I pray, and and nothing, nothing, How long must I call for help? How long do I need to keep praying before you answer me? The world's broken, and you're not doing anything about it. I see it. I see the brokenness. I see the wrongs. I see the injustice. I see it all before me every day. I see it on the news. I experience it in my life. And where are you? Because you're not doing anything about it. It always continues. What difference does your word make? We have kings who obey your word and we have kings who reject it, but injustice just continues over and over again. Why does it even matter? Why should I even worry about doing what is right? Because nothing changes. If we could eavesdrop on your own prayers... I wonder if you have ever said something similar. I have. I've cried out before and like why aren't you here? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you answer? Why don't you care? Let me ask you this question. What is presently going on in your life that is causing you to doubt the presence of God? Like, I I want you, because we're going to follow this thread through the sermon, so I want you to think about it. What would that be? What are you presently going through that's causing you to doubt the presence of God in this moment in your life? Is it illness Rejection, racism, and justice? Is it the failure of a loved one, a parent, a pastor? Fill in the blank. What accusation do you presently bring against God because of the situation you're in? And then I want you to see how God responds. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. Even before we continue in what God says, can we just take a moment to say that God responds? Like, remember I said like sometimes our hearts feel things that we're too afraid to say out loud because we're like, if I say this out loud, I'm pretty sure God's just going to crush me. And here's a prophet of God crying these things out to God and God responds. The loving kindness of God draws near to those who are wounded and hurting and cry out to the Lord. He answers. Don't take that for granted. Don't just keep reading and be like, yeah, of course. Because sometimes in reality, we don't feel like he's going to respond. We feel like we're going to be rejected if I say this out loud. I can't really say that even though I feel that way. He responds. And he's like, I am present. Look, observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe even when you hear about it. Sometimes, like, people can misuse this verse to say, oh, look at the nations and all these great things God's doing. This is not how this verse is intended. This verse is intended to say something very different. He's like, I'm working in ways you do not understand. I'm working a plan here that even when I tell you, it's going to blow your mind. And it does. And actually, it's going to tick Habakkuk off. He doesn't like how God's going to respond. It's not like, oh, thank you for clarifying that you are present and you're working. Really, Habakkuk is saying, you're going to do what? Look at what it says for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. You're doing what? It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. God is saying that he is raising up the Chaldeans to bring judgment against the very evil that Habakkuk's just laid out. He's like, look at all these wrongs. I've seen them all. I see it. You're not doing anything about it. And God's like, actually, I am making a plan. I'm working that plan. I'm present here. And what I'm about to do is raise up the Chaldeans to come and bring judgment against that very injustice. And Habakkuk is furious. It would be like, have you ever watched the news or look at the state of America? And if you're like, hey, look at how bad this is, God. Look at all these wrongs in our nations. Look at the injustices. Look at the, the, the politicians. Look at the greed. Look at the brokenness. Look at the, the godlessness. And we're like, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? And he's like, I am. I'm actually raising up ISIS right now to come and to destroy you to deal with that wickedness. And you're like, what? They're worse than we are. They behead people, they're using rape as as a means of warfare, and you're going to raise up them? Like, I thought you were good. Why in the world would you raise up the Chaldeans to bring judgment? And this is where we're at. Now the question becomes not if God's present, but are you good? Like, see, I had this imagination, this thought of how God was going to work. There's evil. He's going to deal with that evil, but he's surely not going to use a nation that's worse than us to bring that judgment. God wouldn't do that, would he? And God is like, yes, that is what I'm doing. It doesn't mean I endorse it, what they're doing. And so now the question becomes in Habakkuk's mind, God, are you good? Now you're present, but I don't know if I can trust you. And in fact, we kind of see this defiance in Habakkuk's heart. Look at this in in verse 12 of chapter 1, where it says, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One? You will not die, Lord. You appointed them to execute judgment. You're my rock. You destined them to punish us? Why would you do that? In 115, the Chaldeans pull them up with a hook, they catch them in their dragon net, they gather them in their fishing net. That is why they're glad and they rejoice. How in the world can you use them, God? They're wicked, they're evil, they're worse than us. And then we see this defiance in God in chapter sorry, this defiance of Habakkuk against God. In verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply on my complaint. Do you see the tone here? It's like, oh, you think you're going to do that, God? To us? Using them? Uh Uh-uh. And so he's like, I'm going to stand between you and your people, and you're going to have to answer me, God. Like, because you can't use them. What are you thinking? Uh uh. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not sitting down. I'm not waiting. You need to give me an answer. That's the posture. Here's the amazing thing God doesn't crush them like a bug. He answers them. Look at verse 2. It's four words, but I just pray like if it's really hit me this week, the Lord answered me. He has the wrong attitude. He's accusing God of things that's not true. He's arrogant, and yet the Lord answered him. Even though he didn't have everything right, even though the words he prayed weren't all true, as he's just emotionally vomiting, God answers him, and he's like, write this down. Write, write down this vision clearly, inscribe it on tablets so that you can easily read it. He's like, here, put this on a billboard sign, I want the letters really big, so even if you're speeding down the highway, you can read this, okay? Like I want this legible. Write this down so you can easily see it. I want you to be able to see this in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the wounds, in the midst of the questions. I want you to see what I am saying. The Lord answered. And in 2 4, look, his ego is inflated, he is without integrity. I can't tell if this is talking about the leaders of the Chaldeans or Habakkuk himself. I don't know exactly. But this is what's clear. But the righteous one will live by faith. This is God's answer. Here's the application. This idea throughout this series that we've been talking about a return to something, and it's this return to faith. In Hebrew, it's amenah. Dr. Randall Smith calls this the God glasses, if you will. Glasses like this of faith. Seeing things the way that God sees it, not the way my eye would have seen it without God's defined word. Consider that the, the, the the phrase that we use. You're looking at the past with rose-colored glasses. What do we mean? We mean instead of looking at the past and seeing things as they really are, you put on these glasses that kind of tent the way you see it, and you're only seeing things for the positive. You're forgetting the whole story. This is saying to those who live by faith, That when you look at the world with human eyes, when you look at the brokenness, when you look at the pain, when you look at everything that's happening, you're going to doubt God's presence. You're going to doubt his power. But when you put on the glasses of faith, you're going to see it through his truth, through his promises, through what's real. Without glasses of faith, we're going to have doubt and we're going to have questions But with the glasses of faith, we will see clearly. Eyes can sometimes only see pain and abandonment by God. But with faith, we see his promises, his presence, his power in the midst of our pain. When our eyes only see a God who is silent, faith sees a God who can speak. When Our eyes can only see a broken world, pain and injustice. Faith sees the loving kindness of God that is giving mercy as he draws hearts to himself. Our own eyes cannot always see clearly. There's this invitation then to live by faith, put on the truth of God's word. But then there's this caution That I think is is kind of humorous because the reality is there's also other glasses you can put on. See, we can put on glasses of faith, but you can also put on beer goggles. Now, follow me here. My wife didn't see how this was going to fit, but it fits because I like country music. Neil McCoy, right? Billy's got his beer goggles on. He just broke up with his girlfriend. He goes to the bar, he's getting drunk. The chorus goes, he'll fall apart when he gets home, but right now his worries are gone. Life is good, 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 because Billy's got his beer goggles on. Right? I told you I like country music. <laughs> There's other glasses we put on to cover up the way we see the broken world. This is what it says in two five. if you're wondering, is it in the text? Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and, and like death. He is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. The country version of that? Billy put his beer goggles on to make all his problems go away because it, he thought it fixed it for a while. He thought it made everything look better. It only he, he's, His life's going to fall apart when he gets home, but for the moment... Everything looks good. And isn't that what we do? That The world looks broken, but instead of putting on the glasses of faith, we put on these other glasses that make things look okay for a little bit, but it only increases our appetite for destruction. It, it, It hooks us on this feeling of a temporary high rather than actually helping us lay a foundation of faith beneath our feet. And so God's saying, beware, the righteous will live by faith. Put on glasses of faith. And so let me come back to the question, what circumstance are you presently walking through that is causing you to doubt God's presence in your life? I want you to see that. I want you to, to, to just take a moment to connect with the way your heart feels in the midst of that circumstance. The doubts you have about God, his presence, his power, And then I want you to metaphorically put on the glasses of faith and look at that same situation again and tell me what's true. Which do you believe more? What you see with your own eye or what you see through the lens of God's word? I think that's one of the calls of this passage, that it's inviting us then to live by faith. And what we see is then God's going to go into and say, look, I know you think I'm not working. He's like, I'm here. I'm working in ways that you may not understand, in ways that that I can't explain to you and nobody else can, that are a mystery to us. But God is working and he is good But then he's going to go in and he's going to give five woes. He goes, I know you think I don't see it. I know you you, you think that I'm blinded to all these things, but there's five woes that are listed out in the middle of chapter two. Woe to those who seem special, who amass wealth, followers, influence, who are popular today, powerful today, and then gone tomorrow. I see them, I know they're fleeting. I'm not blinded to this. Woe to those who try to hide from God through dishonest cardboard fortresses that they build up for themselves. They will be destroyed. I see it. They will not stand. I'm not impressed. God says, "With leaders who build cities and nations, because in 2:14 He says, "The Earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the seas. I see it. I see the wicked politicians. I see the wicked leaders. I see what they're trying to build. They're not a danger to me. My glory will fill the earth in ways that you cannot even fathom. I see it, and I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm going to deal with the drug dealer and the human trafficker, 15 through 17, the person who gets someone hooked on drugs so they can misuse them to their own perverted ends. I see it. I know that too, God says, and I'm going to deal with them as well. And then the fifth, ah, uh, whoa, God sees our man-made gods, the, the ones that we create for ourselves, doing it in God's name, but we're only doing it to our own end. He's like, I see it. And I'm dealing with it. And all of a sudden, the tone changes. Habakkuk, who has approached with pain and wounds and doubts, now wearing the glasses of faith, seeing what God says to be true, that he is present and he is powerful, now has a very different response. In 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Here's the thought. The God who you thought was not present. The God who you thought was not powerful. If you could imagine in your mind's eye him seated in the throne of heaven, present, all powerful, angry at evil, every hurt, every wrong that you've experienced, God's burning passion against, how would you respond? There's a holy reverence and quiet that overtakes him. But there's two responses that we're going to see out of this. In chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. It's literally a poem that follows in chapter 3, according to the Shiganoth. It's a weird phrase, isn't it? What does that mean, according to the Shiganoth? It means, ah! Sorry, I debated whether or not I should do that. I don't want to give you a heart attack or myself, and then I saw Carol jump. <clears throat> Hopefully none of us have to go to the hospital. That's the Shiganoth. It's literally this scream, this cry, this, this exasperation of just terror that's frightening. And it's this approaching, the poetic form is this storm that's approaching, this silent fear. Lord, I have heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years, Lord. Lord, Lord, you are God, you are present, you're working. And now I kind of see that you're a bit agitated. So like in your wrath, remember mercy? (laughs) Like now the prayers kind of change. It's not like, God, you're not doing anything. He's no longer standing in defiance. He's like, in your wrath, remember mercy. Because now I have a real picture of what's happening here, that you are present and you are powerful. And and now I'm just going to kind of be quiet. And the description that follows in poetic form is like a storm that's approaching. But it's a unique storm. And and here's some of the the language to understand about the context. Typically, when a storm came over Israel, it moved from west to east. Moisture would rise up from the Mediterranean Sea. It would bring in the, the storm clouds and it would begin to rain. And that rain moved from west to east across the country. That's 98% of the weather there, and then the, the storm begins to dissipate as it hits the hot air off the desert. Every now and then, you have a storm that arises from the desert. These are unusual. When it's saying God comes from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, the storm is not coming from the west. The storm is coming from south, southeast. It's a desert storm. And I want you to begin to see this image in poetic form if you read it as God coming like this storm. The splendor covers the heavens. It's these clouds that are rolling in. Brilliance like light flashing from his hand, that the lightning coming down striking the earth, that the plague and pestilence that follows is literally this hot wind that pushes in as the storm clouds approach. You know that feeling when, when after church your car's been sitting outside in the summer all afternoon and then you open the door and that hot air hits you and you go to get in but you can't touch anything and you can't breathe because it's so hot inside? That's the plague and pestilence. That's the feeling. That's that hot air blowing across the desert as this storm approaches. Thunder claps, sphincter muscles tighten. He stands and shakes the earth. The winds blow like a hurricane, the tents of Kushan in distress. The the floodwaters begin to rise. Tearing out roads, homes, cars, livestock. Are you angry at the rivers, God? Because the rains are coming down, but the desert grand lands can't soak up the water. And so it causes these flash floods. In this area of Israel. And so everything gets wiped away. Mountains shake from the thunder. Lightning continues to strike. Day and night, sun and moon stood still, covered by the clouds. And he moves as a storm as he pleases. And then the storm moves inside. Think of the howling winds of Hurricane Ian. The threat of rising water and then God draws near and bones ache, lips quiver and knees grow weak as God approaches. That's the scene. And the silent fear now turns to something else entirely in verses 17 and 18. 18. They turn to joy, to joy, though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, it's though everything my hands touch. Fail. It's as, as if nothing goes my way. It's as if every dream I ever had never comes true. It's as if my questions linger. My doubts remain. Everything I hoped for, everything I thought, everything I worked for, none of it works. None of it comes together. Everything I wanted, health, comfort, security, everything is gone. Yet. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Joy. I want to define joy like this. It is the resolute assurance that God is present in the midst of our pain. And that he is all powerful to deal with our problems. And so let me ask you this. Though justice exists today, we rejoice in God. Though the diagnosis we hoped for may not be our reality, we can trust in the Lord. Though people reject and criticize us, we can rejoice in the Lord again and again. So think about it. What do you bring here this morning? What circumstance did you have in your mind's eye that says, this is causing me to doubt if God is present and powerful? It's hard for me to believe that, but I want you to intentionally put on the truth of God's word in faith and look at your situation and allow his word to ring true. That he said he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. That he has and he knows your problems. That even when you cry out and you don't hear him, he's there. He's present with you. He is all powerful to deal with your problems. And in that situation... Can you call your heart to rejoice? Even if that situation doesn't change? Even if the circumstances don't get easier? This is how we've seen God use this passage. It didn't mean things were bad and now they're good, praise Jesus. It means things were hard. Life is bitter sometimes, but the sweetness of God is greater than the pains of life. And so we can cry out, though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no fruit on the vines, though nothing I hoped for has come to pass, God is good. He's been present with me the whole time and I can rest in his love. That, I believe, is the divine hug. The embrace of God through the book of Habakkuk. That in the midst of our pain, God is present. And when life feels impossible, brokenness to be our only reality, God says, I'm not indifferent. I'm not blinded to it. He sees it. And there is comfort in that. And there is joy in that. Let's pray.